This episode is brought to you by the content creators at Live City Media. They've been filming and editing since 2013 and know exactly what it takes to make your brand's online presence pop. Head over to livecity.media to connect with the team today. just me today sean uh fred is currently dealing with internet issues he has recently moved into a humble abode of his own he's got got his own house but as a result of that there's been a lot of things that he has to learn about and just tinkering with the the setup of his, his new crib so last minute decision to do the show on my own uh because it's been a while since we've ta- gotten anything out to you um, so we're going to be talking today largely about the first four episodes of Andor. Uh, there's also news that just came out like a, not too long ago, a couple of minutes ago, about the Dune prequel TV series that's going to be on HBO Max. And I might touch base on the Wakanda Forever trailer if I'm feeling up to it, if we're having the time at the end. Uh, I'm going to keep this target is around 20 minutes just because it's one person And it's not the same. I I totally know that. But I still wanted to get something out for you. Um, But before we do, I'm going to remind everyone to hit the subscribe button. Follow us and please give us a review. Uh, We're available just about everywhere where podcasts are available. So you can find us on the trusty Spotify's, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anchor FM, and there's a couple of other ones scattered out there, but that's that's the principal one. And Spotify and Apple, of course, are the two big ones. We would very much appreciate a, a review, a follow. It really helps with the, the recognition of the brand that we're trying to build here. And share it around. Let people know. Um, spread the good word around. And as always, like we're, you can find the stuff as well on the ScreenHub website, screenhub.blog. We have a tab there for the website as well. Fred and I run columns on the website as well. So without further ado, we're going to be talking about the first four episodes of Andor. I'm recording this the day before the fifth episode comes out. Um, So I wanted to give the first impressions on what we've seen so far. As we've been doing with a lot of the shows, we like to give the first impressions. And we are going to talk about it once we've seen the whole entire thing. Sometimes our first impressions don't equal to the final products. We're either stuck in some nostalgia, maybe a little bit, maybe some biases, and then things start to change, or maybe it just gets better as it goes along. Both are entirely optional, so it's great to come back and re-explore something. So uh, it'll be interesting to talk to Fred uh, about it once we're back in action. We're going to talk about it when the show is done. Uh, but we're also going to try and get Alan back on the show from Level Up Sabres. Link in the description for our affiliate link with him. Uh, if you buy a link off of that, um, if you want to get a lightsaber, we'll get a, a cut of that. Like, the lightsabers are great too. Like 
really, really like if you want to go dueling with him, that's how to do it. But he's a super big Star Wars fan, and we would fair. We really had a great time talking with him last time he was on the show. So we're gonna try and get him on the show this time. So Andor, I'm loving the show, guys. I I really am. Uh, it, it's hard to say like where this will rank once the show is done, but my goodness the first impression is is great and i think part of the reason why is because this show is treating star wars with a level of respect i don't think we've seen so far in the disney era uh everything has been very like adventure and pulp uh, and which is fine like that's like the mandalorian is great and it's very much going off with that like episode of the week riffing off of old westerns and serialized tv and that's where star wars came from and it was almost like a homage to that older way of doing television but then book of boba fett came out and it was it was a little inconsistent we'll say it that way there there was certainly some great moments there were some fine moments and then there were some moments that left things that were left to be desired and i think the same can be said for obi-wan kenobi there were some excellent moments in that some decent moments and some moments where things were left to be desired. Andor feels like a completely different animal compared to those three shows at this point. Uh, one of the standout things, I think, for me, is how much time the show is spending establishing mood and establishing the villains. Uh, one thing that I was critical of The Mandalorian, especially its first season, was that we never cut away from Mando. And if we do, it's fleeting in the second season. Uh, but we, so we never really got to understand what the Empire was doing and what their thought process is. And this show is painting this picture of the Imperials and the, the corporate workers who are under their jurisdiction and what ego and rules and duty and what they perceive as all those. And ambition and greed all these things are tying in just into the villain arcs and it feels so incredibly layered this is a show where you have to pay attention to you can't just be like on your phone or like watching it in the background Uh, the writing in the show is top notch Uh, it comes to us from tony gilroy who did the, the reshoots for rogue one but more notably, he is the writer on The Born Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum. He also wrote and directed Legacy, but we won't hold that against him. Uh, there were some good ideas in Legacy, but it just wasn't the same. I think it would have been better if it wasn't a Born movie. Uh, he's also the he was the writer and or director on Michael Clayton, starring George Clooney, which is probably his uh, most acclaimed piece of writing. And the writing on this show is really good. Um, we, we open up with this sequence that's around, I don't know, five to ten minutes long in the first episode. And my first thought was, that's Blade Runner. It was rainy, it was neon, the character was wearing like this trench coat, and he goes into a brothel, and he's searching for information. And just like the tone of it, was so fascinating it was so unlike anything we had seen before in star wars and it feels mature it feels gritty there is there's even language by the time you get to the third episode and one of them just like shit 
Uh, and it, I saw a meme about that. It was riffing off of uh, Rise of Skywalker's They Can Fly Now. But it was like, uh, you see the caption and the guy's like, shit. And then you see Finn and Poe going like, they swear now? They swear now. Uh, so that I thought that was rather amusing. Uh, Andor himself is honestly the least interesting part of the show. And I don't mean it as a bad thing. Like he, He's still an interesting individual, but the world that he's in and the characters that he's around, it's almost like he's, he's our eyes into a much more interesting world. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character as Luthen, fantastic. He has a, a scene in the fourth episode where he's trying to tell this character named Val to take on and or to be a part of a crew. And he goes from calm and kind of like stone-faced to terrifying in a heartbeat. And then scenes later, when we come back to him in the ship, he's en route to Coruscant, uh, the Imperial capital, because this takes place five years before A New Hope. And he dons this wig, these robes, this, like flashing rings in order to uh, meet with the Senator Mon Mothma. And he, he adopts this persona and he just becomes like, he's a chameleon. He becomes somebody else. And just with a flare of his hand, we know everything we need to know about this character. He doesn't have to say anything. There's no beating you over the head exposition. It's just a transformation. And we know that this is a guy who can weave in and out of circles. He is able to manipulate people. He is able to access very high places of power, but then also weed his way into the back alleys. He's a chameleon. He is very resourceful. He is quick to adapt. And I love that the show expects us to pay attention to these details. And it's not just spelling it out for us and holding our hand. Uh, it's something that a lot of shows and movies that are kind of like blockbustery, mainstreamy things have done. Uh, probably, for, I mean, it's always been an issue, but I, it seems to be a bit more noticeable. Perhaps it's like a side effect uh, of the MCU. But Andor is just kind of going like, no, like we're, we're going to make more of a political crime thriller with inspirations from World War II spy thrillers. Uh, it's it's really, really good. And Tony Gilroy is actually not a Star Wars fan. So he told the, the writing team, which includes his brother, Dan Gilroy, who is the writer-director on Nightcrawler. And if you've not seen Nightcrawler, you should definitely watch Nightcrawler. But uh, he told all of them, yeah, take your, your Star Wars biases, whether they be positive or negative, and throw them out the window. Uh, we're just going to focus on character and story that just so happens to be told inside the Star Wars universe. So he's he's not there to do like fanboy stuff and give us the story that we think we're going to want. He wants to put character first and the world first. And the world very much influences the character. Uh, Andor is looking for his sister, but he wants no part in this rebellion. Like he's just getting by. He owes money to dirt bags, and he's got like he's dead ends. He doesn't have a ship. He borrows ships from like some shady people. Um, it's it's quite fascinating. And if the corporate security who is working for the Empire didn't decide to go all Rambo and try to break the rules to try and bring Andor to justice, then Andor probably wouldn't have been motivated to actually leave 
the, the planet he was on. He probably just would have continued his drab existence, but he was almost like forced into exile, if you will, from this planet and into this this path that he wouldn't have otherwise considered all because of him murdering two people in the first 10 minutes of the show and the corporate security guys were like no like we need to go bring this guy to justice and the boss man was like no it's too much paperwork and uh, we can't be bothered with it so uh one of the guys like the the number two was like well screw that we're gonna go we're going to do it anyway. We need to bring this guy to justice. It's the morally right thing to do. Rules and orders be damned. Like, this is the proper thing to do. And that backfires on that guy. He gets fired for insubordination and basically collateral damage at that point, which is great. I love that there was consequences to that. So it wasn't just, oh, well, you tried. No, it was like, there are real consequences for it. And then this guy's out of the job. He's not in the Empire. He's not in the corporal security. I'm very curious as to where they're going to take that guy. Like, is he going to be mad at Andor? Or is it is it on him for breaking the rules? Who knows? Uh, the show's leaving a lot of things up in the air. And I, I like that there's this complexity to it. And there's also a ton of Star Wars Easter eggs, if you know where to look for it. Especially in the fourth episode. Uh, Luthan, Skarsgård's character, like, hosts this museum to try and meet with mon mothma and it's all just the front but it's littered with easter eggs and i know people were like oh we expect easter eggs i, I don't expect easter eggs so i want story first and if easter eggs are there it's cool and it doesn't have to be so blatant either but there was like a ton of easter eggs in there like just about everything in there was like some sort of reference or deep cut there's even a verbalized deep cut reference to knights of the old republic which i was like nice and a lot of the dialogue especially if you know the star wars lore they were talking about um i forget the exact word of it but they were talking about a a planet mom mothba was and how there's been unrest on this planet and it seems like a throwaway line of dialogue just to like create tension and world building but it's gonna have i won't say what but it's gonna assuming they stick to the canon then if they stick to the old canon uh, of things that happen, this throwaway line will be incredibly important to Mom Mothma's character. You, ha- you have to take it in. You have to be listening. You have to file these pieces of information away. When you're hearing that there's unrest on a planet due to the Empire, you have to remember that Mom Mothma's taken umbrage with the fact that the Empire is mistreating these people. It's not there as set dressing. It's there actually is very subtle exposition and set up that will hopefully in this case come into play later but that's just an example of it there's other things in the show that have that similar effect the show is not there spelling everything out for you it is a far more subtle it's a lot slower and i don't mean that as a bad thing but it's not an action-packed adventure show it's slow burn and it's really great it creates mood creates tension um i also really like the sense of scope and almost like fear in the fourth episode andor's walking up a mountain which was filmed on location in scotland they're not using the volume for the show like they do in mando and obi-wan and boba fett no boba fett was on a set uh if i'm not mistaken but obi-wan and mando at least were filmed in the volume this is filming on location and it shows 
So they're they're going up the mountain, and they can hear the TIE fighters in the distance. So they take cover, and the TIE fighters roar ahead. And TIE fighters have never been scarier. We usually don't associate the Empire and any of their troops and weapons and ships as scary, mainly because the stormtroopers have come off as incompetent in a lot of the media, especially the animated shows like uh, Rebels. Oh, I was like tripping over themselves and they can't aim for anything. But Andor is making the Empire out to be scary. The, the ships fly overhead and they have to run for cover. They're loud, they're scary, they're fast. Uh, we also spent a decent amount of time in the fourth episode with the ISB, which is the first time we're seeing them in live action. They're wearing like the white robes, sitting in the circular table. And they're kind of like the CIA and the Gestapo at the same time. And the, the head guy in the room, he's like, yeah, like your detention numbers, great. So they're rounding people up who are just against the Empire. And it's, it's, it's scary stuff. Like, what? Why don't we see this kind, of, this side of the empire more often? Why aren't we scared of them? These are space fascists who took over a galaxy by force, but they're often portrayed as comical or not really a threat. But they were able to subjugate billions of people through fear and intimidation and just exploitation. And it's nice that Andor is showcasing that because I feel like. You know, often the Empire is kind of going to come across as pushovers. So that is nice. Uh, so overall, first impressions, Andor, loving it. Great first impression. Hope the show continues its upwards track. Uh, I was very happy they released the first three episodes at once because that was kind of like its own little arc. But now I'm in the sense where I'm like, yeah, I can't wait for the next episode. Writing is top-notch. Acting is top-notch. Visual effects are great. Love the practicality. The score is great, too. I am super-duper on board with this. And at this point, like, the writing... Uh, writing is the standout for me. The writing is top-notch. Can't wait to see where it goes. Great first impression. Pivoting over to the news that just came out about the Dune prequel series. Uh, what's going to be called The Sisterhood. Uh, we got casting news, actually. So... Dune the Sisterhood is going to be a prequel series on HBO Max because uh, Warner owns HBO, in case you did not know. And it's going to take place 10,000 years before Dune Part 1. Uh, I think Denis Villeneuve is going to direct the first episode as far as I saw, and he might be a producer on it, but he's not the showrunner. The showrunner is escaping me right now. Um, yeah, it's going to take place some 10,000 years before part one, and it's going to be about the origins of the Bene Gesserit. Those are like the, the space witches that we see in the first one. Uh, Paul's mom, Rebecca, the lady Rebecca, is a member of the Bene Gesserit. So this show is going to be exploring the formation of the, the sisterhood. And now we have our leads. So we're going to have Emily Watson. And we're going to be having Shirley Henderson. So Emily Watson, she's been in a, like a bunch of things. You just Google her name and you, you've probably seen something that she's been in. Uh, but I think most recently she was in Chernobyl. So, and if you've not seen Chernobyl, oh boy, you should go and see Chernobyl. Um, 
So she's going to be in it, and Shirley Henderson, you probably don't recognize the name offhand, but I guarantee you, you know who she is. She is Moaning Myrtle from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, she also had a small role in uh, Rise of Skywalker. She was a Bubba Freak. And she was in um, Trainspotting as well. So we got some good people involved in that. I'm curious how they're going to be bringing the sense of scale and scope to uh, to the small screen because Dune was shot largely on location, uh, massive sets, and they they blended visual effects and practical f- photography quite well. When I was watching Dune, I was like, I am on Arrakis, so I'm curious as to how they'll do that on TV. But TV these days is it's looking good. Let me tell you that Andor and Rings of Power look better than some movies i'll just say that so i'm not worried i'm curious though as to see where it'll go um there's no dates as far as i can see for when the show is going to be coming out they're only casting i'm not expecting this probably until 2024 maybe even yeah probably 2024 is my guess um when we have more news though i'll uh i'll be sure to let you know we'll be letting you know can be writing about it we'll be talking about them on the podcast um i didn't mention i wanted to talk about uh, wakanda forever uh, i'm gonna skip that actually i'm not gonna talk about that because i was talking about chernobyl and the last of us trailer came out and i just feel like talking about that right now as, as instead, instead of uh, wakanda forever um wakanda forever looks great of course we've already had the the first look teaser and i thought the first look teaser was better than this trailer um it did all but confirm who the new black panther is i won't say in case you are actively avoiding that information uh but like i plan on seeing it and it's the probably the last marvel movie maybe guardians of the odyssey 3 but it's one of the last ones that i'm like actually excited for the the ship is sailing for me for the Marvel movies. It's the ride is coming to an end. I'll probably be excited for more things as I learn more about them. Like bring me Fantastic Four, the two Avengers movies probably, but oh, there's a lot in between there where I'm like me, me, me. But last week they dropped the trailer for the Last of Us TV show. They dropped it on Last of Us Day actually, and. I, I was excited, but with a smidge of caution. I think that's safe to say. I'm a big fan of The Last of Us. I think it's perhaps the best written video game out there. It's certainly one of the best written video games out there. So the expectations are high. And the trailer was awesome. Uh, it's coming to us from the same guy who did Chernobyl. You know, already that instantly makes me very excited i don't even care what his next project was i was like he's working on something else at hbo bam i'm there just so happens that his next project is the last of us which looks great uh it was filmed in canada filmed in alberta so that's a a nice little piece of uh, appreciation for us up here in the the great white north uh we got neil Druckmann as well who's the uh the creator of the last of us he was the game director and he is also working on the show they're both uh executive producing and they're both co-writing i believe every episode 
So there's not going to be too much deviations, and there's going to be supplemental material added to bolster the story. But I don't imagine there's going to be like huge contradictions or huge changes. The trailer was real. Well, the teaser trailer was really good in that it showed a lot of quick glimpses and tonal references of the game. So if you've played the game, you'll be watching the trailer going like, "Oh, I, I recognize that. I know what that is. I know what part of the game this is." And those who haven't, they'll just be seeing a very well put together teaser. But there was almost no dialogue. We didn't see anybody speaking directly. It was one line of voiceover towards the end of the trailer. But still convinced a sense of mood, a sense of tone, and a sense of dread. Uh, we hear that the clickers, and they sound exactly as they do in the game. They even look exactly as they do in the game because we get a quick jump scare towards the end of the teaser trailer. It looks disgusting. Um... Casting looked great. Pedro Pascal is going to be playing Joel in this one. It wasn't my first pick. Anson Mount was probably my my go-to for for Joel. But seeing him briefly in action, I'm in. Uh, I, I think he's got the chops to pull it off. And I would I can buy into him playing Joel. Uh, I want to see him like in a scene before making my mind up one way or another, but... I know Pedro Pascal is a really good talent as well. So I'm not concerned about Pedro Pascal. I think he's going to be great as Joel. Um, the, everything felt very practical as well. We had city shots. We had landscape shots in the mountains, with snowy mountains in the background, on horseback with rivers, uh, the, the red bricks from uh, Boston from the game just that the whole facade in the opening with the quarantine zone uh, it was it was a pretty well done put together trailer along with the, the hank williams song that you hear in the game we had quick shots of like nick offerman who's going to be playing uh billy if i'm not mistaken it's been a while since i played the game I, i'm gonna have to replay it before the show comes out which is going to be next year at some point we don't have a concrete date but Depending on the TV schedule for next year, at this point, Last of Us is my most anticipated TV show for next year because I don't think we're going to be getting like House of the Dragon Season 2 or Rings of Power Season 2 next year. We'll have Mando Season 3, but honestly, Mando Season 3 and Last of Us, it's close. But I might edge out Last of Us just because it's something different. Still love me some Mando, and I can't wait to see where it goes. But there's also a sense of more Mando kind of thing. So it's still it's probably my number two most anticipated. Don't get me wrong. I'm like super on board waving the Mando flag. But just because The Last of Us is going to be something new and different, I think it'll edge out Mando for me a little bit. Also, the Mando Season 3 teaser trailer didn't wow me as much as the last of us trailer did so that also comes into a we have to take that into consideration as well um but look at that we're we're already almost at 27 minutes i've kept you this long already i've just been talking by myself i even poured myself a drink thinking fred was going to be here but then like like i said last minute was no can do but if he were here i would have been drinking gentleman jack i've poured myself a little bit i'll i'll have drink it later uh, because it's October 4th, I'm probably going to start watching horror movies a lot until Halloween. 
I haven't quite decided what I'm going to be watching tonight, but I'm thinking it might be Nightmare on Elm Street, and we're just going to go from there. One article that you can look forward to from me on the website, though, I'm going to be watching Scream 4 for the first time, and I'll be doing a write-up on that at some point from the point of view of first watch so many years later. I simply adore the first Scream movie. It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, horror movie. Second one's a pretty decent sequel. Third one was the third one. So I never watched the fourth one as a result. I kind of just steered clear of it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to tarnish it anymore. But I've heard it's decent. I heard it's pretty good. So we're going to try that out. And if I can get access to Scream 5, I'll be watching Scream 5 as well. But we already have a review for that on the site. Eric's written it. So you can go check that out if you are curious, but he gave it a pretty positive review, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, guys, I hope you liked that. Was this one better than the last solo show? I feel like it was, but let me know. Let me know. I'm very curious. Uh, the solo shows are always a bit more intimidating because you're essentially by yourself in a room just talking. So I want to know what you think about this one. If I do feel like it was better. I hope you liked it. Thanks again for listening. Like, follow, subscribe, share it. It would mean the world to me. Until next time, we love you. Bye, everyone. Cheers.